All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, which I believe is on page 1278. Uh, If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chair in front of you, page 1278, Hebrews chapter 4. We're just looking at verses 12 and 13 this morning as we continue our sermon series through the letter to the Hebrews. And uh, kids, if you're tracking the word of the day, the word is word. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word and how you speak to us even today through your written word. And we do ask now that you would open our eyes to the glory of the Lord Jesus in these two short verses. Would you help us to come to know you more and to grow in faith? Would you shape us and mold us that we might be uh, more like Christ as well as more excited and equipped to continue to make disciples of our neighbors and of the nations? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that we talked about when we began the sermon series ten weeks ago was the fact that in the book of Hebrews there are warnings that are given to a church, this church that the letter of Hebrews was written to, and also to us. There are these warnings, and there are five of them in the book of Hebrews, and we've already seen one of them. So you may remember several weeks ago when we were in chapter 2, if you want to flip back, the first couple verses of chapter 2 are where the first warning is, And ultimately, in that first warning, the author was telling us to pay attention to what God has revealed about himself in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the first few verses of chapter 2 tell us to make sure we're paying attention to what he wrote in chapter 1, where the author tells us that Jesus is the son of God, that he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so that That first warning was to get us to pay attention, to really understand and know what God has revealed about himself in the person and work of his son. And now we come to that second warning. See, the author's been building up to this warning. After he gave the first warning, he started developing the theme of genuine faith, of what it means to have genuine faith, the type of faith that perseveres uh, to the end of a person's life. And as he's been developing that theme of genuine faith, he's been using that first wilderness generation as an example of people who did not have genuine faith. They left Egypt, went into the wilderness, but did not trust God in the wilderness, and therefore they weren't allowed to enter the promised land. He's been using that as an example for us not to follow. And he's really been challenging us, like he was challenging this 
the original recipients, to make sure that we have genuine faith. And that leads us up to this warning that we have today found in verses 12 and 13, which ultimately is this. Here's the warning, the second warning in the book of Hebrews. Do not underestimate the power of God's word. So hear him saying, warning. Do not underestimate the power of God's word. And so what we're going to do is look at how God's word is speaking. It's actually God speaking. And then God's word is effective. God's word is exposing. And God's word is life-giving. Those four things we're going to tackle this morning to understand this warning of not underestimating the power of God's word. Speaking, effective, exposing life-giving. These are things that help us understand God's word. So let's, let's jump in. Keep your Bibles open. Um, let's talk about how God's word is speaking. It's actually God speaking. Okay, let me, let me stretch that out a little more. First thing we want to look at is that when, when we read the Bible, we're actually reading God speaking to us right now through his written word. God speaks to his people today. He's talking to us today by the Holy Spirit through the written word. Okay, and to see this, we're going to jump back a little bit into chapters three and four to kind of prep us for looking at the warning itself. But think about how the author has been using the Old Testament. Think about how he's been quoting Psalm 95 in chapter three and in chapter four. He's quoted it five times. Look at the longest place where he quotes from Psalm 95 in chapter three, starting in verse seven, going through 11. And I want you to notice here what he does. Look at how he prefaces the Old Testament quote that he's going to use. Chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he goes on from there. But here's we got to understand. He's saying, it's in the present tense. So he was saying to them that God was saying right then and there, through the Holy Spirit, through the word, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He literally says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit is saying, Right? Right now. And so he was speaking to them right then through the Old Testament, just like God is speaking to us right now through the New Testament, through his written word. That's how God speaks to us today. He, he speaks to his people in the present as the Holy Spirit takes passages or verses of his written word and applies those things to our current situation. There's over 31,000 verses of Scripture in the Old and New Testaments. And we can be sure that in those verses, in every situation in life where we are looking to hear from God, where we want to hear from God, we want to see what God is saying to us, it is found within his word. He has spoken and he is speaking through the written word by the Holy Spirit, applying what he has said to us. So God's word is God speaking. This is why Martin Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scripture." And if you want to hear God speak audibly, read it out loud. God is speaking to us. Holy Spirit applying his written word to situations in our life. So we don't want to underestimate the power of God's word because it is how he is speaking to us right now. And this helps us understand that warning a little more because it helps us understand why he was using Psalm 95 and why he kept quoting it. And that God was speaking to this original audience as he's speaking to us as well. 
And the things that he was saying from Psalm 95 were God saying those things to them. So God was saying, don't harden your hearts. God was saying, telling them, don't be like that wilderness generation who never really trusted me. God was telling them that the only way to enter the true and better promised land, the new heavens and new earth, is through faith, genuine faith. God was saying that to them. And God is saying these things to us. God was calling them to strive to enter his rest. Look at chapter 4, verse, or, yeah, chapter four, verse 11, where he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And now back in chapter 4, verse 3, we saw that you enter through faith. And so he's, he's, God is the one saying in his word, strive to live by faith, strive to truly trust God so that you know you will enter the new heavens and new earth. And so then with that emphasis on the fact that God is speaking through his word, that helps us understand what's going on here in the warning in chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, which is basically God speaking to us And saying, make sure your faith is real. Because we're going to stand before him one day. And we're going to make an account for our life. And as we see in the warning. When we stand before God and make an account. If our faith was not real. He's going to know. He already knows. He already knows because of what we see in the warning. So now let's look at it again. Verse 12. Chapter 4 verse 12 and 13. The word of God is living and active. Again, this is coming off of verse 12. Why should we make sure our faith is real? Why should we strive to live by faith? Because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must Give account. So not only is God's word, God speaking to us today. The second reason we don't want to underestimate the power of God's word is because it is effective. God's word is 100% effective. When he speaks, there's a reason that he does. And and whatever that reason was, it happens. You see that when it says... Uh, look at verse first part of verse 12 again. For the word of God is living and active. Alive and active. That word active kind of blends two thoughts, sort of energy and power. Okay, so it's alive, it has energy, it has power. In other words, it is effective. That's what he's getting at there. It accomplishes whatever it was sent to do. And that we, we know that in the Old Testament as well. If you're familiar with Isaiah 55, a passage that some of us are familiar with, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Here's what God says to us there. He says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So it's another place in Scripture where we see that God's Word is effective. When He speaks, something happens. That's not like you and me. When we speak, what we want to happen may or may not happen. Okay? There are plenty of times in a given week where I speak and what I want to happen does not happen. 
Okay, I'm a parent. Now, but think about God. Think about creation, right? We see right in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He spoke. Let there be light. He speaks everything into existence, which shows how his word is powerful. It's effective. When he speaks, it happens. Okay, so we don't want to underestimate his word because it's effective. It's always accomplishing the purpose for which he sends it. And one of the things that God's word does effectively is expose. Let's talk about that. God's word is exposing. It's him speaking, it's effective, and it's exposing. It exposes us. He says the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So one of the things that God's word does with 100% effectiveness is it discerns what we really think and what we really intend or our true attitude towards any and all things. God's word pierces through us and exposes what is really true about us. Now, there's a little debate about what he's saying or how he's using this metaphor of it piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, uh, one commentator is saying that it's, it's possible that because at this time they had more of a platonic view of existence where your soul and your spirit are somewhere inside you. And therefore, what would the deepest part of your body be? Your marrow. Inside the, in, you, there's nowhere, you can't get deeper in your body than your marrow, right? So, so it might be that he's saying that, of course, this, the word pierces right into the marrow of your bones. So, of course, on the way, it slices right between your soul and your spirit. But whatever he's saying here, everyone's agreed that what he's getting at is, as Peter O'Brien says, the result of this penetrating power of God's word is that it is able to probe the inmost recesses of our being and bring the subconscious motives to light. It's discerning. In fact, the word where he says discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart is a word that kind of it refers to a person who's very skilled at assessing a situation or judging Determining what's right, what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what's believing, what's unbelieving. So the word of God pierces into our very souls, exposing what's really true, what we really think, what we really intend. He knows our hearts. And this is not the only place that we see this in Scripture. In fact, we see all through the Scriptures that God knows our hearts. Think about 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, where Paul says, The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Or in Acts 1, 24, when they're praying, they pray and their prayer begins with, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Okay, so he knows our hearts. He knows every little thing about us. And that then, therefore, leaves us vulnerable and helpless look at 13 he says no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked 
and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Uh, One author says, here in Hebrews, there is a close connection between God and his word. So to be exposed to the word of scripture is to be examined fully by God himself and therefore answerable to him. See what he's saying? Like God's word examines us fully and therefore because God has examined everything about us, we are answerable to him. We make an account to him. God's word reveals what's ugly in us and reveals that we are accountable to him. This is one of the reasons that the Bible, people are trying to get the Bible out of public life. Because this is what God's word does. It it reveals how messed up we are. It leaves us naked and exposed. Naked and exposed. Think about that. That word naked, uh, when it's used literally, you know, it refers to somebody being naked, but when it's used metaphorically like here, it's, it's, it's used throughout the Bible. It's, nakedness is used as a, as a metaphor for just complete vulnerability and exposed. So naked and exposed. Here's an interesting thing about that word exposed. It's a Greek word that actually refers to a wrestling move by which an opponent grabs his opponent by the neck and takes him down in such a way that once he's on the ground, held by his neck, he's absolutely defenseless and helpless because he's pinned down. Interesting word choice by the author. I had the great privilege of going to the the first game in the new stadium uh, for Orlando City, uh, which they won. FYI, and um, and there was like you know well over twenty five thousand people there, just just amazing. You know you know how like we we don't want to be seen naked, right? Like think of just imagine with me for a moment that you know what what if there was this crazy situation where suddenly you were stripped naked and then taken down by your neck and pinned at, at, at the in the middle of the field with 26,000 people looking on. And just kind of like how absolutely gut-wrenching, you know, makes you sick. I, I mean, that would be absolutely horrible, right? You would, you'd, be, you'd be so, oh, worst thing ever, right? And the thing is, what we see here is that that feeling is helpful in, in getting at what the Word really does because being exposed physically, that's one thing, but we're talking about something deeper, something more embarrassing something something we want to hide even more what's really in our hearts that's what the word does leaves us naked and vulnerable it shows us what we're really like it reveals how selfish we really are or how insincere we really are it reveals how greedy we really are shows us how jealous we really are It exposes the fact that we're so covetous. We see things that we don't have and God has not given us, but we start scheming. We want them so bad. How prideful we are. How great we think we are. It exposes how racist we are, how judgmental we are, how fake we are, how terrible some of the things we've imagined doing to other people are. How hypocritical we are. How sinful we are. That's, that's what it does. It lays us bare, pierces in, and it exposes all that is wicked and ugly 
within us. It's, a, it's like a mirror, right? It's like a mirror that is held up to us, and when we look in it to see our actual reflection, reflection is, is, is horrible. We can't stand it. We want to look away, or we want to break the mirror. It's what it does, right? It leaves us feeling vulnerable and helpless, which is one of its designs to help us feel that desperate need of a savior, right? I I need a savior. I need to get out from underneath all this guilt and shame. I don't want it to be exposed. I don't want anyone to see. I don't want God to look at what's really in my heart, right? We don't want that. Now, for the non-believer, this is what's being exposed is the reasons that you're condemned, which you will not be able to argue with on Judgment Day. You will agree with God's judgment of who you really were. But when, when, it, when the Word of God exposes this ugliness in us, it's meant to drive us to our recognition that we do need a Savior. We do need someone who can purify us of our sin, right? We do need a high priest. I mean, look at the glorious next sentence, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And we're going to talk about that more next week. And I can't wait. But once we have faith, once we really receive Christ by faith, if our, once our faith is genuine, then we can know that all that's being exposed by the Word of God is a long list of things that we've been forgiven for and that God knows the deepest recesses of our heart and He still loves us, still cherishes us, still is committed to us, still is faithful to us. And that explodes with joy then in our hearts, right? We're so thankful for what he's done. That's what helps us love him. That's what helps us want to serve him. Believing the gospel. Believing that what, what the gospel is, is that what Jesus has done on the cross has provided for my forgiveness and it's provided for me being declared righteous. Jesus, who is the word of God, right? John calls him the word of God. He's been called the word of God here in Hebrews as well. So the word of God, Jesus, who, who knows everything about me, even to the deepest, darkest sin about me, he's the one who took my place in nakedness and exposure, right? Look at the cross. What's happening on the cross? He's taking my nakedness. He's taking my exposure. What I deserve to be experiencing. And he's taken that so that instead of having what I deserve, that awful naked exposure, I get what he deserves. I get to be declared righteous in God's sight. And as God looks at me through his word, it not only reveals the purification of all that, but the permanent love of God for me and acceptance of me. And for all who believe, this is the beauty of the gospel, right? He took my nakedness. He took my exposure so that I could be declared righteous in his sight. And that's, that comes through faith. And this is, this here, here's, here's the sweet part about the way the author wrote this, okay? You know he's a pastor because he's thinking about the people when he wrote this. And here's how you see it. The last thing we ought to talk about is that God's word is not only him speaking. It's not only 100% effective. It's not only exposing all the deepest, dark nastiness about us. But it's also life-giving. What do we say when we open God's word together on Sunday mornings? This is God's holy, 
true, and life-giving word. You know why I say that? Because the Bible says that, right? This is God's word. He says it's life-giving, and here's where he says it in this passage. Okay, look back at verse 12, those first few sweet, sweet words. For the word of God is living and active. Now, that word living is interesting, and all the commentators pause, and they say, we have to mention something about this word. It does mean alive. But it also simultaneously equally means life-giving. It's that kind of alive. It's the kind of alive that gives life. And so even in this warning, we see the sweet news that it is the word of God that not only exposes all things about us, but it gives us the life that we need. It gives us the faith that we need. One author talks about how the scripture connects God's life with the capacity of God's words to give life. How the people heard the voice of the living God in Deuteronomy. Or how the psalmist prays to receive life by your word in the Psalms. And the big one that they point to that's so amazing is 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23 talks about the life-giving power of God's word. Okay, theological break for a moment. So when we are born again, when somebody's born again, the Holy Spirit works faith within their heart, right? So they can receive Christ, so they can believe, okay? That's what being born again is, being regenerated, getting a new heart that's open to God, loves God. How did that happen? Did you do that? Let's ask Peter. Peter, in First Peter one twenty three says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That's how we came to life. That's how we came to faith. God's word breathed and spoke life into our hearts. So that we could believe, so that we could receive salvation by grace through faith. It's all from him. Even our becoming Christians, true believers, is through that word, that life-giving word. Great story about the life-giving word. So you've heard of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a preacher in uh, the 18th century, traveled out around England, traveled around America a little bit. And at, at, at one point, there was this group of young men who started following him around, heckling him. They called themselves the Hellfire Club. And so they would heckle Whitfield when he was preaching his sermons. And one of them, whose last name was Thorpe, he decided that he was going to try to memorize some of Whitfield's sermons so that he could mock him, so that maybe while Whitfield's preaching over here, he could be standing over here kind of saying the same thing or doing the same things. Anyway, at one point, Thorpe has memorized part of Whitfield's sermon, and he's, Whitfield preached the Word of God. And so he's standing there preaching, and he's, he's yelling, he's preaching, and all of a sudden he just stops. And he, and he realizes that he, he believes what he was saying, or trying to fake say, the knucklehead converted himself, basically is what happened, okay? Because the power of the Word of God is life-giving. And if it's the moment for you to come to faith, the word of God is going to be there and it's going to do the work and pow, it's life-giving. And then it's not, it doesn't stop there, right? The word of God doesn't just give us our new life, but it gives us more and more of our new life, right? It gives us more and more of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. God is in the business of sharing his amazing life with us and he imparts it to us through his word as we, as we believe it. It's life-giving word. 
So he can give us life where there was death in us. So he can give light where there was dark in us. So, where he, so he can put hope where there was hopelessness in us. Or that he can put rest where there was restlessness in us. He imparts that to us through his life-giving word. Does his word examine us thoroughly and see all of the nastiness that's truly in us? Yes. So that we can see that we need a Savior. And once we have that Savior, that it's been gone, it's been removed... And he's put life in its place. That cloud of death that hung over us because of our sin has been replaced with that banner that reads, Righteous in Christ. Now, if his word really is God speaking right now, and if it really is 100% effective, and if it is exposing, but at the same time life-giving, I do not want to underestimate it. I do not want to underestimate it. I want to believe it. I want to read it. I want to study it. I want to memorize it. I want the word to be just, I want to be absorbing every little bit of it, right? This is the reason that we, as Christians, it's just imperative that we have this healthy devotional life where we have a regular diet of God's word. Why? Because good Christians read their Bibles? No! No, because the word is life-giving, right? The word is life-giving. That's why we want to be reading his word pursuing him in there, experiencing the life that he gives us through his word. This is the reason why we study God's word in our life groups, right? Our life groups are gathered around the life-giving word of God. This is why there's so much word in our worship. We sing God's word. We speak God's word. We talk about catechism answers that help us understand God's word. We preach God's Word. This is why we preach expository sermons, by the way. Expository sermons where, where we do what we do here. We just walk through uh, the, the verses so that we understand it. So we understand what is God saying to us through His written Word. Expository preaching. You don't need, Matt, seven tips for a better marriage. You don't need three ideas for uh, financial awesomeness from me. What you need is what only God can give you. You need God's Word. God's word. That's what is living and active. That's what's life-giving and has energy and power and brings us to life. And so we preach through the Bible. We get into God's word in worship. And this is also why I want to say where I felt... I just, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I'm always honest with you, but... The piercing word found its way into the reality that my time in the word in the mornings lately has just been filled with distraction. And it's been just kind of duty, check it, check a box and get done with it. And I just, I just was like overwhelmed with this sadness that God was talking to me and I was busy doing something else. And I want you to join me in my conviction. There's plenty of room in here. Come on. And would you just see why does God want us to know His Word and be in His Word and read His Word? Because it's life-giving. And I want you to choose with me to get serious again about reading His Word, to get serious again about studying His Word together in groups, to get serious again about worshiping uh, centered on the Word and the incarnate Word, Jesus, the Son of God, who makes all this possible. 
how do you know if you are, like me, underestimating the power of the Word of God? It's not having a big impact in your life because you're not paying attention. Okay, so the less we're paying attention to the Word of God, the more we know we're underestimating it. And so let's, by grace, let's repent of that. Repentance means we change our minds. What do we need to change our minds? We need to change our minds from this, this false belief that we have that the Word of God isn't really powerful. Change our minds and believe God's word is God speaking to me now, today, and it's effective. It's going to do in me what he wants it to do. And it's going to expose everything about me, but it's going to give me life too. Through faith. And let's be a church that is crazy about the word of God. Father, we do thank you for um, your sweet, sweet ways of leading us to repentance. Paul says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. What a sweet invitation that you want to talk to us more and you want to give us life. Would you help us to want you and and believe that the life we get from you is you yourself? Proven by the fact that Jesus gave us his life by giving his life. And so would we be a people of your word? Would we believe it has real power? Would we stay focused? Would we stay committed? Would we encourage one another to believe in the power of your word and to experience the life you have for us as we believe it and trust you and live it? In Jesus' name, amen.